Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of the living God. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came to him and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for, um, since the early 90s, Kate and I have kept what we call the Green Book. Uh, because it's green and it's a book and in our green book we record all of our household finances the things we're saving for the things we are spending our money on on a monthly basis uh, we got to starting the green book because in the early 90s this brand new technology came out called an ATM and one of the things that the ATM did was give us the ability to take cash out whenever we wanted to but at the end of the month, we began to realize, what happened to all that money we withdrew during the month? It seemed to just sort of go somewhere, but we had no idea where it went. And so we were given this wise advice of write everything you spend down. And so we started daily writing down everything that we spent in a little register, and then it eventually evolved into the green book. Now the green book unexpectedly, over, this is probably the 20th green book. This is, uh, it, they get old and dog-eared over time because they last a few years. But the green books have for us and for in our family become this way of reminding us of the very real and practical providence of God to care for and provide for us in very tangible ways. I can't tell you how many times we have met this Jesus who extends things, who multiplies things like loaves and fishes uh, miraculously through our green book. We have seen seasons and periods of our lives where we thought there is no way, humanly speaking, we're going to have enough money to do this or that or to send these kids to this school or this thing. And yet, almost, not almost, Truly, miraculously, we have seen God provide. And even though we have this very tangible reminder of God's care and provision for us as a family that I can actually hold in my hands, I can turn back to dates and see amazing provision, even though I've got that thing, there's still a question that comes to me more frequently than I'd like to admit and it's, will God provide now? Sure, he did in the past, and I'm grateful. I'm hopeful that he'll do it in the future, and I can reason to why that will happen. 
But the challenge we all face, and I think the challenge that this passage of Scripture we just read comes and gives us great confidence in facing is the challenge of will God provide for me now in this situation? Sure he did in the past, sure he'll do it in the future, but we live in the right now. And in the right now, there is this question of will God provide? Will God provide in the middle of a global unprecedented pandemic? Will God provide in a season of incredible social upheaval and unrest and racial discussions that are very difficult to navigate? Will God provide in our daily lives that have been upended? A year ago, nobody was working the way you work now. Nobody was going to school like you're going to school now. Nobody was doing church like we're doing church now. Everything has been upturned and rolled over. And we're in this place of actually saying, how will God provide in this? We have to wrestle with our feelings. We have to wrestle with this trusting in Jesus's character to provide for us in this moment in our very real challenges, in our very everyday and our very corporate situations we're facing, we have this question, will God provide in this? And I think this passage does an amazing job of answering that question and comforting us to see that the God we serve, the character Jesus reveals, we can absolutely answer that question with yes. And the way that I want to first look at it, is by looking at the way the disciples have responded. So I've had requests about some of my preaching. And so today, this is a request uh, to like give you very clear points. So I'm doing an old school three-point sermon. So here are the three points. How the disciples are learning to trust Jesus's character. Two, how Jesus provides for them. And three, how that gives us a way to trust in God. And if you listen to the third point, you'll even get an acronym that I'll give you as a bonus prize. <laughs> so point one, how the disciples are learning to trust in the character of Jesus. The disciples are growing. I think if you've been tracking with us through Luke, I don't know, for the first time this time reading through Luke, I really get a sense of the, the growth and the development of the character of the disciples. You know, especially since the storm, since the boat almost went down, since Jesus sent them out with his power, these men are transforming before our very eyes. They're beginning to rest and trust in the character of God and in this Jesus in a very real and tangible way. And because of that, they are beginning to step out and to do things that just a few pages prior we would have never thought possible from these guys. And yet here we see a tremendous amount of growth. In verse 12, the very first part of it, it says late in the afternoon. Luke gives us a timestamp on when they come to Jesus with this problem. Late in the afternoon. Not at the very last minute. Not the second before the boat is about to go down. 
when there's still enough time to like do something about the problem, they come to Jesus. They've recognized it. They've seen it. They've seen that the crowd has been there all day. They're getting tired. They're getting hungry. And there's going to be a big problem in a few hours if there's not a solution. So kudos to the disciples. They actually come to Jesus late in the afternoon. They also, in this, um, offer a solution to Jesus that's pretty, pretty thoughtful. The solution they offer to Jesus is, Jesus, why don't you send these people out? Why don't you help them to go so that they can find provision? And that's not just like get rid of these people kind of note here. What it is is based on their own experience, Jesus had just sent them out, remember? He had sent them out with his power and authority and he said, when you go in my power and authority, you'll find people who welcome you, who offer you hospitality, who will feed you and provide for you. And so the disciples thinking is, oh, if you did this for us, maybe you can do this for this tremendous crowd. That would be amazing. And so they're, they're thinking, and they're thinking through solutions based on their experience with the character of Jesus, which is so much more than they would have done a few months or years before this. They're beginning to think through their challenges, through the character and the kindness of Jesus. And then they actually here also um, show some real concern for the crowd for the first time. They're beginning to care for these people, not just as a sort of object, but as individual people. And then they also come to him with their idea before they start enacting their idea, which is another major milestone of improvement for them. They bring their idea to Jesus for him to sort of bless before they just do something and then ask for him to clean it up. And then also here, not only are these things happening, there's something that happens in verse 13 that's kind of an odd thing. When they bring this idea, Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And another sign of their advance, their growth, is that they take that in stride. We don't have the sort of note from Luke about how Jesus said this. Did he say it kind of humorously? Did he say it with a smile? Did he say it sternly? We don't know. But what we do know is how the disciples took this odd thing that Jesus said. They took it in stride. They weren't thrown off by it. They weren't scratching their heads. In fact, they come back to Jesus by having already done a survey. <laughs> They've sort of done an assessment. They've done a needs assessment. You know, they, they went to business school. They know what to do here. There's a problem. Let's do a needs assessment. So they did it. They did this needs assessment. And what did they come back with? We have five loaves and two fish. And so they answer Jesus back almost humorously. I like to think this is a humorous exchange between Jesus and the disciples, where he says, why don't you give them something to eat? And they're like, okay, back at you, Jesus. Here's what we, what we have. We have five loaves and two fishes. That's all we have to feed this enormous crowd that's following you. And in fact, um, this idea of responding to Jesus is showing that they're developing a confidence. They don't know where he's going. They're not sure exactly how he's going to act. But they know it's going to be good. 
and they know it's going to be gracious, and they know they're going to be surprised, and so they're willing to step into this place of expectation and not anxiety about how Jesus will solve the problem that's before them. And so trusting Jesus' character is more and more built and building a confidence in them to trust and to provide for them in the moment of crisis. Point two. So how does God provide? How does Jesus provide for their needs? Well, Jesus takes the ridiculously small supplies into his hands, and he does two things. He, first of all, tells them to go organize the crowd, to set people down into groups of 50, and then once they're done with that, come back to him. And so they do that, they obey. Another sign of their uh, increasing faithfulness is they're trusting him more and more to do exactly what he says when he, when he says to do it. And so they do it, they come back to him, and then he takes the bread, he looks to heaven, he thanks God, he breaks it and gives it to his disciples to distribute. And so he asks them to prepare for the provision before it arrives as an act of faith. The disciples have to step out in obedience and faith before the provision comes. And it forces this question, will God provide now? We don't have any external uh, things to trust. We don't have a promise. We don't have a sort of a, a, any sort of signed agreement. The only thing we have to trust is the character of this one we're following. That is the only reason we move in obedience to go sit these people down. As we move to set these people down, to organize them, we're aligning with Jesus' mission. We're aligning with him. We're setting aside our own ambitions, and we're letting him be who he is going to be. And we are trusting that the provision will come. And then the provision does come. I mean, it's miraculous. It's astounding. It's over and above all expectations of what would have happened. It's not unprecedented. The seating of them into groups of 50, the miraculous provision of bread through prayer and breaking, remind us all, reminded them all of God's power in Exodus that he took his people out of the land, he took them through the desert, and daily he provided for them manna from heaven. But in this, even though it's not unprecedented, it's unexpected to apply that to this problem. That story has new resonance because the disciples and the crowd are beginning to put things together. It's not just the provision of food for hungry folks. This is the revelation, the revelation of who Jesus' true character is. I'm not just a miracle worker, guys. I'm not just a healer. I'm not just somebody who's a great public orator. I am God in the flesh who has come among you in order to show you not just the character of a great saint, but the character, the heart of God himself. And so the provision is more than just a provision for their bellies. It's a provision for their souls as well. 
Three, how does this give us a way to trust? Is there a pattern here for the needs we face? And so here's your bonus, uh, your bonus uh, star is your an acronym. It is. There are four things here under the third point. You asked for it, so I'm just giving it to you. You know, I respond. Let me know and I'll respond. So the last point here is how is this a pattern? It is a pattern. A few weeks ago, we talked a lot about how the word is essential and taking in God's word, all of it, the whole counsel of it, is really vital for growing us and understanding God's character. The flip side to the other thing that's vital for us to grow is through prayer. And this passage has often been treated as a way to describe the Lord's table, which it does, and it absolutely has impact on that. But I think when we're looking at this idea of will God provide for us now, this is really a primer on prayer. And so the acronym is PRAY, P-R-A-Y, for the pattern that Jesus lays out here in how to look to him in faith. First of all, they press, there's your P, they press towards Jesus. They go to him as the most important step. Now, not all of us are in the same places spiritually. Some of us are curious and looking in from the outside. Some of us have been in the faith for a very long time. But regardless of our spiritual condition, the same movement is absolutely essential for all of us to find God's provision in the moment, and that's to press towards Jesus. The disciples begin to move towards Jesus because they're beginning to see this is essential. If I don't press towards him, I'm going to end up with all kinds of answers that don't really satisfy, with maybe solutions that help the body but don't satisfy the soul. And so they press towards him. There's a movement towards him. And as we've looked at the Gospel of Luke, as we've even looked at our own lives, we begin to realize there's some hindrances to pressing towards Jesus that we all know very much. That oftentimes we think he doesn't care. We think his character is abstract and isolated and removed. And because of that, we think he does not care about the thing that is pressing against us at the moment. Do you see why the disciples press towards him here? Is because in the last few chapters, they've come to know he cares for them. He cared for them in the boat. He cared for them when he sent them onto the road. He's cared for them by drawing them aside so that they could reflect and think and just be with him. They've come to understand I can press towards him because he cares. The other reason we avoid pressing towards Jesus is because we think he does not have power. That God is somehow absent or impotent or unable to deal with the challenges, the very real practical financial workplace relationship, XYZ problems you and I face and that press against us. We think he does not have power. What have the disciples been learning here about Jesus's character? Not only does he care, he is powerful. 
His solutions blow them out of the water. They're so memorable. They're so real and tangible that their lives are absolutely transformed because of the experience of his power. They remember the boat coming out of the water. They remember the dead girl rising to new life. They have seen it and touched it and tasted it, and so therefore they know they can press towards him in the midst of confusing circumstances. They know he cares, and they know he has power, and it's because of that they can pee, press towards Jesus. But there's also a pattern here where we see the R. The R is they reveal their hearts. This pattern of going to Jesus, they have been incredibly honest with him. They have thought about this situation in the immediate. They have devised an idea. They've done some really good theology of strategizing a really helpful way to solve the problem in front of them. But the revealing of their hearts is an essential part of praying. We're not just mouthing words. We're going to Jesus and we're unburdening and revealing what's on our hearts. Jesus, this is the way I'm thinking about it. This is the way I hear it. Here's how I understand your word. Here's how I think about your character. So they're being incredibly honest. Honesty is essential in our movement towards Jesus and actually coming to a place where we receive from him power. Because we're unburdening not just our imaginations, but we're opening back and peeling back our hearts to talk to him who truly cares for us, who truly has power about what is really bothering us. And in that interaction, we begin to see his affection for us. Which leads us to the A, (laughs) aligning our life. What is also happening in prayer is what's happening with these disciples. They align their mission to Jesus. They align their behavior to what he tells them to do. They receive from him sort of a a correction, not a rebuke, but just sort of a guidance, like here's the way, walk in it. You give them something to eat. And it forces them to say, well, what do I have? What are my resources? What are my abilities? What do I have that could meet this need? That's an alignment of life. They're forced to take stock of what they have to meet this need. And that's a real part of prayer is taking stock of what do I have that meets this pressing need and offering it to him. You see here, what's happening is they are offering to Jesus what they have, their gifts, small as they are, meager as they are, to Jesus, because what he is asking in this alignment is to join in the family business. You bring your resources to me. You come under my leadership. Let me be over you. Let me guide and shape and lead you. And I will take everything that's yours and by my hands transform it into being part of a great blessing for others. Because my kingdom is a kingdom of 
taking what is the Father's and sending it and making it accessible to the world. And so when we align in prayer, we take what's ours, we give it to Jesus for his kingdom work. And lastly, why? Yield to his character of mercy. Yielding to his character of mercy is what we do in prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a statement of yielding. We're yielding our agenda, our plans, our strategies, our ways and expectations to instead of us doing it, letting God be the architect and the executioner of his plans through us. And so this yielding is letting him do his things, his way, and by and large, they'll never be what you planned. I can promise you that every one of the big and small challenges that are coming against each one of us in this moment, in this incredibly difficult year, we have that question, will God provide? Yes, he will. I can absolutely say but his provision will not come in the package you imagine it to come in. It will be strange. It will be odd. It will be unexpected. And the question when God begins to work is, will we yield? Will we let him do his will in his way through us? Will God provide for you? Can his character be trusted? Does he care for you? Absolutely. Two things I've learned, both from keeping this green book for 28 years now, and for praying for maybe a little bit longer than 28 years, are the same things. One, you always, God always provides exactly what I've needed. I can affirm that there are lots of things I wanted, that I strive for, that I, you know, sort of bent God's ear on, but always what he provided has been exactly what I needed. But the other thing is, it's rarely early, and never is it late. God's provision will come, but it won't come ahead of time when you can bank on it and not have to move out in faith and not move out on his character. He, he, he comes late oftentimes to the provision in order to raise this question, will God provide now? Because when we're faced with that question, we're put in a place of discomfort where the only thing we have is his character to rest upon. And the call of prayer is to step in and to rest on his character. Will God provide for you now? Will he meet you in whatever circumstances you find yourself in? Absolutely he will. As we follow the disciples' pattern, as we pray, as we rest on his character, as we know his power, he will lead and guide and shape us to being his people in this world. Let's pray. 
Our Lord and our Father, we come before you and we ask for you to help us trust you. You've shown us your provision many, many, many times. But every morning, there are new challenges that face us. And so, Lord, in the new challenges of the moment, we ask for you to help us to pray, to rest on you, to know your character, and to trust that you will provide. Amen.